Hello again, podcast listeners. Another heads up about our big news. This is the last new episode of Planetary Radio that will be available on SoundCloud. We are so proud to have joined Panoply.fm, where so many of the best podcasts live. There should be no change for pretty much anyone who hears us elsewhere across the web, but you SoundCloud listeners need to move to Apple Podcasts, Google Play, really almost anywhere else, including our own planetary.org slash radio. Panoply cannot support SoundCloud. Again, we apologize for the inconvenience, but we don't want to lose any of you. Please make the switch now. Thanks so much. A new tribute to the Voyager Golden Record this week on Planetary Radio. Welcome. I'm Matt Kaplan of the Planetary Society with more of the human adventure across our solar system and beyond. We'll talk with Stephen Canfield and Jacinta Faria, two of the many creators of A Message from Earth, an exciting online homage to Carl Sagan's grand greeting to other beings that is now entering interstellar space on Voyagers 1 and 2. NASA's next space station has a new name. Jason Davis will tell us about it, and Bruce will soon take us to the stars for a new space trivia contest. Planetary Society senior editor Emily Lakdawalla gets us started with another visit to our emissaries on the Red Planet. Emily, it is always a pleasure and very illuminating to see one of your curiosity updates following the progress of the Mars Science Laboratory on Mars and headlining this one, a brand new selfie. Yes, it's the first one in a long time. And and personally, I was very relieved because I'd always planned to end my first book with the last selfie that Curiosity took. And then they didn't take one for more than a year. So um, I was really happy that they got it. It's a beautiful one, too. The rover is sitting on top of the Vera Rubin Ridge. Um, and because the rover has a little topography under it, you can actually see down into the valley that it drove across to get there. And you can see down into the other valley that it's going to be heading into in the future. It is a beautiful shot. And of course, the link is in the blog post that is the basis of this conversation. And we'll put a link to it on the show page for this week's show as well at planetary.org. You also once again explain why a selfie taken on Mars by a robot is a heck of a lot more complex than just reaching out an arm with a smartphone. Well, it's true because this particular camera is an amazing camera, but it doesn't have a very wide field of view. So you wind up having to take somewhere between 60 and 100 pictures uh, and you, then you have to puzzle piece them all together. What I think is cool this week is to leave curiosity for a second that the Opportunity rover took its first selfie ever on Mars in the same week last week. It also used the camera on the end of its arm. It's not as good a camera. It can't focus at a distance, but it's still quite a striking image. Back to Curiosity, which had uh, another sort of return to uh, action, or at least it's it's approaching. Has drilling resumed? Well, it's interesting that we're talking now because drilling attempt has been commanded, but we're in the space where we don't know yet whether it was successful. But there was a photo late last week of the drill resting on rock. So they uh, really are going for it. And we can hope that it was successful over the weekend. This is another great example of uh, making lemonade out of lemons with uh, robotic spacecraft, isn't it? Absolutely. This um, They had to try a whole new drilling technique because the drill feed mechanism failed. And so they're now um, basically 
drilling in a whole new way. They're having to use the arm to press the drill into the rock instead of the the mechanism that used to force the feed forward into the rock. We hope it's going to work. We'll have to see. They're also not using the percussion mechanism on the drill because that was also causing some shorts. And so it's a it's a whole new way. And uh, if this is successful, I think those engineers deserve a party <laughs> for what they've accomplished. And how? I'll buy the pizza. We hopefully will have good news about this, uh, maybe by the time a lot of people hear this show. Uh, Finally, I want to call attention to the fact that just below your own recap of what has happened in recent souls uh, with Curiosity, you have all these terrific uh, blog entries. And by my count, there are more than 10 members of the mission team that uh, contributed to the blog. Yeah, that's a change that happened going into uh, Curiosity's second extended mission when Ashwin Vasavada became project scientist. And the blogs moved from the United States Geological Survey to JPL. Um, They decided to share out the, the joy of getting to write for the public to a larger group of the team. And a lot more volunteers are now participating in the writing of the posts that chronicle what's happening with Curiosity on Mars. It's great to be hearing so many voices, including yours. And uh, you can read Emily's newest Curiosity update. It's a February 21st entry in the blog at planetary.org. Thanks a lot, Emily. Thank you, Matt. She uh, is and uh, hopefully will be for many, many years to come our senior editor at the Planetary Society. That's uh, Emily Lakdawalla. Very little about space development escapes Planetary Society digital editor Jason Davis. My colleague has been following the evolving story of NASA's plans to put a space station near the moon, including that facility's new name. Jason, we talked about it uh, on this most recent special edition of the Space Policy Edition of Planetary Radio. It has to be my goodness, the most romantic acronym NASA has ever come up with. Yes, yes. And of course, we're <laughs> referring to the DSG and now the LOPG. So yeah, very romantic. <laughs> LOP, LOPG. I'll tell you, it, it, it. I was thinking about this earlier today, and it sounds like a cross between a, a basset hound and a hip-hop artist. <laughs> I definitely didn't think of it that way, but... Um, it's, no one else will. Ooh, yeah, just anything with the... Op or lop or plop. It's it's just not a great sound <laughs> when you're talking about advanced technology and deep space exploration. So what are we talking about here? Yeah, so this is the um, the miniature space station that NASA wants to put out near the moon uh, in cislunar orbit. This was proposed already under the Obama administration. It was called the Deep Space Gateway back then. And essentially, this space station would serve as a proving ground for us to work uh, and learn to live in space um, where a safe return to Earth is not an option. So you're on the ISS, something really goes bad, you can hop in the Soyuz in your home in a couple hours. Um, of course, the moon, that's not the case. Uh, you're a few days away from help. So it really starts encouraging NASA to um, you know, think in this different mindset and plan out for things uh, a lot differently than they do um, on the International Space Station. Now, I didn't think Deep Space Gateway was a was a bad name for this at all. Why the change? The official answer that I got from NASA headquarters was that they did not think it was descriptive enough, uh, and they came up with Lunar Orbital Platform hyphen gateway. I mean, the, the hyphen just also throws me. I'm like, uh, unnecessary punctuation. Uh, I'm sure we have many wonderful, unpretentious <laughs> listeners with hyphens in their name. You just lost all the hyphenated names right there. I think. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the official reason NASA gave for this was, um, yeah, uh, they didn't think it was descriptive enough. Now in the, in the story I wrote about this, I 
posit uh, a different explanation. Look back to when the Obama administration canceled Constellation, Orion and the Ares 5 rocket went away. And then uh, after a year and a half of fighting, we essentially got Orion back, but then they called it the Orion Multipurpose Crew Vehicle. And we essentially got Ares 5 back, but they changed the name to the Space Launch System. And so there was a lot of theory at the time that, hey, this is really just um, call it something different for the new administration to kind of make everyone happy and about this new program change. I would argue that maybe some of that happened here as well. Of course, that's just speculation on my part, but... Uh, I just don't buy the explanation that LOPG is any more descriptive than uh, DSG in this case. Well, let's get to the the meat of LOPG. What, what's the first piece of it and when might it be up there near the moon? Yeah, so the first piece is the power and propulsion element, the PPE, another acronym here. It's a solar electric powered uh, module with these big solar arrays on it. And for listeners that are familiar with the Dawn spacecraft, for instance, that uses the solar electric propulsion, this is an order of magnitude more powerful than something like that. Um, and, and the theory is that if we're going to send a lot of cargo to Mars for human exploration one day. You want these big SEP systems that can kind of slowly push stuff out there, push a lot of cargo out there. And it takes a little while, but you know, ultimately can deliver more cargo to crazy orbits more efficiently over time. This PPE element uh, would go out there around 2020 uh, and serve as kind of the first piece of the station. Uh, NASA was going to launch this on the space launch system with Orion, um, kind of this double two-in-one launch. And now they're going to use a commercial partner to launch it. And that's probably because the PPE can essentially get into its correct orbit on its own. It is the power uh, and propulsion element, so it has everything it needs to get to its final orbit. But does it include someplace for astronauts to to live, to hang out? Yeah, so the PPE does not. It's just, um, you know, the, the power bus, essentially. So next, they would launch a habitation module. After that, they would put on an airlock of some kind and uh, a logistics element. It would be a small space station, essentially just have two and a half modules uh, plus the visiting Orion spacecraft. The habitation module, there's no launch date set for it. NASA wants to uh, award the contract for it possibly next fiscal year. This thing's slowly coming together piece by piece, and it is officially in the budget now. So um, it would take congressional intervention to stop it at this point. Uh, So it looks like it's going forward piece by piece. Does NASA hope for international involvement in this uh, new mini space station near the moon? Yeah, that's something that everyone keeps wondering because we have this partnership with the International Space Station. So everybody's wondering, well, what comes next and will international partners be involved? Uh, In the budget, there's one line that says that NASA will build the HAB module on their own unless an international partner is willing to contribute. So this could be a way for a group like ESA, um, the European Space Agency, or uh, the Russian Space Agency to contribute. So it sounds like NASA is kind of testing the water, seeing if anybody wants to get in on this um, this next step and, and take it from there. All right, Jason, you can read more about LOPG in his uh, blog entry that he posted to planetary.org on February 26th. It's called Some Snark and Details about NASA's proposed lunar space station. Uh, Thank you for sharing both with us uh, here on the show. Thanks, Matt. Always fun to be here. That's Jason Davis, digital editor for the Planetary Society and our embedded reporter with LightSail, which uh, things are heating up there again.
The light that generated the sounds you are hearing traveled 550 light years to reach our world. Gamma Cassiopeia is a variable binary star, variable because its brightness varies. The tones represent that variability. This recording is one small element of a work I want to share with you. I never miss an opportunity to revisit the rich intersection of space science and human culture. No surprise, therefore, that I was intrigued when I learned about a message from Earth. As you'll hear, I was captivated and fascinated from the first moments to the last chapter of this wonderful tribute. It is no less than an homage to the Voyager Golden Record, that assembly of greetings, wisdom, music, and images that Carl Sagan and his team, including Andruyan, cast toward interstellar space on Voyagers 1 and 2. That was 1977. Forty years later, this new work arrived from what may seem like an unlikely source. WeTransfer is an online service that enables users to send and receive files across our world. The company has done well, and it uses its success to do good. Stephen Canfield is its vice president of marketing. He recently joined me for an online conversation about a message from Earth. We also welcome Jacinta Faria, executive producer for Stink Studios, She was at the center of a worldwide team that produced or contributed to the project. We'll meet them in a moment. First, though, here is the preface to a message from Earth that speaks of the golden record. It was a gift sent from our world into deep space for whatever might find it. Dazzled by that audacity, we present new ideas from 40 cultural luminaries inspired by the original. Together, these amazing minds offer a collage of the contemporary human experience. We hope it inspires selfless acts of cultural diplomacy in the years ahead. Stephen and Jacinta, thank you very much for uh, joining us on Planetary Radio, but especially I want to thank you and the many, many colleagues uh, with whom you worked on A Message from Earth. Just this morning, I went through, I followed this this lovely pathway that all of you have created for at least the fourth time. And I, I just want to recommend to everybody who listens to this show, check this out. Yeah, you won't be sorry. It is great fun. Oh, thank you so much. That really means a lot. And we're happy to be here. Yeah, thanks, Matt. My pleasure entirely. Stephen, my understanding is that you are, <laughs> I was going to say the brains behind this, but at least the instigator of this <laughs> and certainly part of the collective brain. Yeah, I've, I've rarely been uh, accused of being the brains of anything. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it's really been a team effort. And I think, you know, we're really humbled at the people that we were able to work with through this. And I mean, ultimately, I think humbled to be able to celebrate the golden record and just be a part of that story um, and its continuation. The process really started with a lot of conversations with people leading up to the 40th year anniversary. As a lot of people that were fascinated by the story of the golden record, we found that in multiple conversations we were having with musicians or photographers or artists, which is something we we transfer do all the time. It's the people that use our platform. It kept coming up and it kept coming up with the same sort of wonder, either in terms of someone who knew what it was and was fascinated by it or inspired by it or had even created things based on it or someone who had never heard about it. And then you sort of tell that two minute story about what it is. And then you hear from them a, a day later to find out that they fell into the hole we all did and kept researching it. So what we tried to do with this is, is ultimately just create a place where all of those people could coexist. What fascinated us with, with celebrations of the golden record that have happened in the past is 
they sort of fall into two categories generally, I think, and they're both brilliant. Uh, I think one is people that really look to reinforce the original and what it was or celebrate that. So I think about the Osmo record guys and what they've done with the vinyl reissue. It's just a great recreation and something that, you know, feels tactile and at home. You know, and then there's other people that have tried to recurate it or reimagine it and said, you know, here's what it might look like if it was curated today. What we realized is, is maybe we weren't capable of doing either of those things as brilliantly as some others had. And so we just wanted to create a place where other people could reimagine it. And a lot of people could do that. And um, we're just really happy to see what everybody's come up with. We share your wonder with the Golden Record uh, regarding the Golden Record. And that's something that the Planetary Society has been fascinated with for many years. And uh, Andy Druyan, who's a, a good friend of the society, mm-hmm. it has been such a, a wonder, such a pleasure to be able to uh, interact with her about the Golden Record. Have you had reaction from her to uh, a message from Earth? You know, we haven't spoken with her directly, but we made sure to speak to all of the people that contributed to the original, you know, to, to get it to them beforehand so they could sort of see what it was and at least hear about it. What we always tried to say in those conversations was that it wasn't an attempt to recreate because it's something that was done so well to begin with. It was really an homage and meant to be a celebration um, that was a collection of a lot of people that wanted to celebrate it. Well, I think they should be very proud uh, of having generated this uh, homage. Um, Jacinta, when, when did you first hear about the Golden Record? I first heard about the Golden Record some time ago and in in passing when I was a youngster and didn't really dig into its true history until we started this project. What was really interesting about working with uh, We Transfer and Stephen in particular is, as you said, you know, Stephen was the instigator and he is the instigator for this project uh, to be kicked off at We Transfer in the first place. But he really trusted us or entrusted us to sort of configure what's the what's the wrapper to contain all of these amazing contributors. And we came up with this line that this online exhibition is going to represent a collage of the contemporary human condition. So he allowed us to to create this this really beautiful through line that we were able to write the the copy around and and when we wrote briefs for the individual collaborators to sort of rally around, you know, that through line was there. And it really made sense to us that we weren't recreating this or reimagining this. We were just actually paying homage. Yeah, it's it's been a really beautiful process and, and very organic, as they say, because there's been so much trust between the two parties. But yeah, I didn't really get into the, you know, the meat of, of the history until we started the project sometime last year, I guess in October, we started it. Yeah. And I think, you know, it was a funny process of how it started because we, you know, we had this idea and we had all these people that ultimately were lined up wanting to be involved. Then we realized we needed a place to put it. For a certain period of time, we thought about <laughs> maybe this thing should be an event. And then what we realized is from an event standpoint, you know, we just didn't think it'd be able to be as diverse as it might be if we could make it bigger and put it online. And that was the idea of the yeah. sort of online exhibition of it. And that diversity was so important to us. It was something that we were really driven by and making sure we represented that. And so we talked to a couple different companies and a couple different people that we thought had that vision and could bring it to life. And I remember the first meeting we had with Jacinta and team I think we literally just talked about how cool the golden record was for about four yes, minutes. Yes, we did. <laughs> and, um, and that was kind of it. It was like, all right, well, this makes sense. That, that became pretty logical because it was clear that that wonder, as you said, Matt, was there, which I think to do this story justice, you've got to have that. and You've got to come from there to begin with. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I think that everyone that worked on the project from our end was very, very into the idea of 
paying homage to the golden record. Everyone had, you know, sort of varying points of entry in terms of like their exposure to the story, some a little deeper than others. And I mean, we called it the dream project in-house in our creative studio. You don't get to say that very often. (laughs) Your group, uh, Jacinta, uh, Stink Studios, that's uh, pretty understandable why you folks would be excited about a, a project like this. But Stephen, file transfer companies aren't generally known for creating interactive art projects on the net. Uh, <laughs> you guys seem to be um, a, a step apart. Oh, thank you. I mean, yeah, for anyone that's not familiar with what we do, I mean, we're basically an easy way to get things from point A to point B. Um, that's why we transfer exists. What we really get inspired by, and I think why we all come to work every day, is this idea of the transfer of ideas. That's what ultimately gets sent in a file. It's not about you know, zeros and ones. It's really about the fact that in many cases, that's a work of music or that's someone's photography or their wedding photos or something they're starting for the first time. And what we realized was if we ever wanted to build something that represented what it is to transfer ideas, the golden record encapsulated all of it, right? It was something Mm -hmm. that was this ultimate showcase of emotion and optimism and humanity and goodwill, which you know, I think on the internet's best days, that's what it represents. I think there's a lot of days it doesn't. Honestly, it's 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 a bit of an opportunity just to selfishly work with some people whose work we love. You know, it was a place to put it. And, yeah. um, you know, that's that's what really means a lot when you work in this type of business. Seems to me kind of a selfless expression, a gift uh, to the rest of, uh, of us on this planet. Um, mm-hmm. Let's go through it a little bit. And my only regret as we talk about the project itself is that we can't really demonstrate the degree of of interactivity that it encompasses. I, I said it. there's a pathway to follow, and you really do follow a pathway through this with many stops along the way, and, and you, can, you can set your own pace. Jacinta, was that the concept from the start? It was. I mean, how best to coordinate such differing Uh, pieces of content. You know, you really have to sort of create this like overarching look and feel that is truly immersive that allows you to, to go through at a quickened pace if you want, but also not if you choose to stop and explore further, there's a lot of content for you to explore, you know, the idea with us coming in was that we added this extra layer of interactivity so that folks would stay longer in each individual section and dig in if they wanted. And, you know, that's that was the whole idea with the interactive modules as well, as you'll see in, in some of the sections that allow you to, to play. I mean, I think everyone really wanted to, to create a bit of a playful experience so it wasn't so passive. I think we achieved that too. Yeah, I, I certainly agree. And it didn't occur to me till this morning what fun this would be for kids. Mm-hmm. Yes, definitely. <laughs> All ages. <laughs> I should have told you that I read your preface message as part of my introduction to uh, our conversation. And it goes from there into greetings, which, of course, the golden record is full of greetings from people around the world, including children. You feature a greeting from a fascinating uh, woman. Would you tell us about Wanda Diaz-Merced? Yeah, Wanda is, ah, man, she's one of the most inspiring people I've spoken to. So she has a TED Talk that's amazing. That's all about the idea of hearing stars. So she is a blind astronomer that uses sonification to translate light waves into sound so that she can study them and understand the night sky better. What we thought about with Wanda was we just wanted to talk to her and see 
understand better, you know, how she saw the world and how she saw space and what she thought of this project. Um, she's based in South Africa now. And the first time that I spoke with her, she just sort of started speaking about the stars. And ultimately what you're hearing when you go through the greeting section is what she told me that day. You know, I actually started to write it down because I thought it was so brilliant. And, and she had this idea that when you are listening to a star, it's as if you're listening to a greeting. It's, it's this sort of conversation between the sky and yourself. And she feels a pressure to respond on behalf of humanity because she realizes that her reaction when she hears that star is representative of all of us. And she wants to sort of display the best of us. I want to offer the potential of life, not only on Earth, but also out there. I want to communicate the human factor, the expressions, the feelings, the sentiment, the emotion on one's face when she or he listens to the stars. We realized pretty quickly that that conversation was exactly what should represent greetings because that's what it is to be human. You know, it, it is that fascination when you look up, but it's also that listening and it's also that sort of connectedness to everything. We really wanted her to be kind of the face of this because she just felt like she represented all that the golden record is. Jacinta, you you paired Wanda with a, a visual artist. Sophie Hollington? Yes. So Sophie actually sort of starts off the experience. So she was more linked to the, the preface section, and Wanda was truly the part of the greeting section. Sorry, my, um, my confusion there. But, I, I ran them okay. together. Yeah, Sophie actually ended up being a part of all of the sections as she she sort of created interpretations of um, of the bio pictures for all of the contributors. So she's sort of ever present. But what we did do for Wanda's section is create uh, a star listening platform. So creating you know our interpretation of the stars that Wanda's favorite stars and the sounds that they would make, and, and offering uh, the ability to sort of tweak. The, the nuance of the sound and, and record your own versions and, you know, share them out as, as you will, which was a really fun and inspiring process knowing, you know, sort of where the, the, the impetus of us even knowing about those stars came from in the first place. This is one of those interactive uh, uh, sections that you're talking about where you actually can draw on the screen and uh, sort of create your own star music. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, you know, what this speaks to is that idea of sort of different people's interpretation of some of the original project. We, we tried to borrow from the original chapters, if you will, from the Voyager Golden Record. You know, so greetings was actually a big part of it, as you mentioned, Matt. But I think what was fascinating is what always came back from these creatives that we were working with, be it Wanda or be it Giles Peterson in the music section or be it Survive in the sound section, is it was never sort of, I want to do it the same way. It was always, well, greetings to me is listening, right? And I think that was what was fascinating and what speaks to just the diversity of the people that we were able to get involved in the project. They've also got the music of Solar Flares and a message from Earth. We'll talk more about the project with Stephen Canfield and Jacinta Faria when Planetary Radio continues. Hi, this is Casey Dreyer, the Director of Space Policy here at the Planetary Society. And I wanted to let you know that right now Congress is debating the future of NASA's budget. The House has proposed to increase NASA's budget and also increase planetary science in 2018. The Senate, however, has proposed to cut both. You can make your voice heard right now. We've made it easy to learn more if you go to planetary.org slash petition2017. Thank you. 
You can share your passion for space exploration by giving someone a gift membership to the Planetary Society this holiday season or any time of year. Your friend or loved one would join us as we nurture new and exciting science, advocate for space, and educate the world. The gift of space starts at planetary.org forward slash give space. That's planetary.org forward slash give space. Because, come on, it's space. Welcome back to Planetary Radio. I'm Matt Kaplan. A Message from Earth is the new online multimedia homage to the Voyager Golden Record that was launched to the stars back in the mid-1970s on the two Voyager spacecraft. Jacinta Faria and her team at Stink Studios pulled all the elements together from around our planet. Stephen Canfield of We Transfer got the ball rolling with lots of support along the way from his company. How did this uh, band, uh, synth band, uh, survive? Uh, how do they fit into the project? You know, most people probably know Survive at this point um, as they're the the backing band for Stranger Things. So they do the score for the Netflix show, uh, right. which has you know quickly become the soundtrack of kids on bikes everywhere. Uh, <laughs> yes. But, uh, but uh, myself included, I got a bike after Stranger Things. Uh, I, I ride it more <laughs> awkwardly and um, less interestingly than that show. You know, I think Survive is, is an example of, you know, just the type of people that are fascinated by this thing the same way so much of us are. What we wanted to do with them was just sort of give them a platform, again, to reinterpret something. Their sound and their just general, I think, vibe is so representative of that show and just so representative of who they are as a band. You could just kind of feel it. What we wanted to create with them is an opportunity where they could sort of hand that over to the user. You know, So basically, they came up with this idea of offering up a bunch of sounds that the team at Stink Studios uh, brilliantly crafted into a sort of instrument where people could create their own unique soundscapes. And I think what that resulted in is a way for someone to make a completely unique sound collage that was specific to them. Jacinto, what was uh, Survive's uh, reaction to, uh, to the project? Did they get a kick out of being involved? They really were fun to collaborate with from the onset. We kind of developed these briefs for each of the chapters and guided the content creation along with with this pretty wide range of artists and contributors. But Survive from the start, you really didn't have to fill in the gaps too much for them. They got it right away. They knew they were giving us a bunch of sounds that we would inevitably create the Soundbox interactive modules from, you know, and much like Star Chat, which was the the Wanda Diaz section in Greetings, which was the interactive module in that section, it was the same sort of like two way conversation that you you know you could have by creating this sort of like otherworldly soundscape. You're creating the soundscape using all of their 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 sounds that they've given us, and you're sending them out into the world. You're either sharing them to friends so that they they can listen to the mix that you've made, or you're saving them. Uh, onto your device, because the whole experience uh, worked obviously on desktop as well as mobile. So if you were experiencing this in in uh, mobile, you could save your sounds to your device. Mm. Let's move on to uh, the next chapter, which is uh, devoted to music, which uh, you found unique musicians from throughout our planet, and, and you include mixes of their work. And it's all held together by the work of, uh, of another contributor. Tell us about this. Yeah, so so Giles Peterson, for anyone that's not familiar, is a scholar. So he's a guy that's been involved with you know countless number of artists' careers um, over the years. Uh, he's probably best known for his work on radio with BBC, where he has an amazing program there that's broken a ton of amazing artists uh, from all over the world. 
he's just a scholar of music from from all over the world. So I think what we realized is we he was the right person to encapsulate this section and to invite a lot of different types of people that represented music for all sorts of places. And he had this amazing concept, which was, it started with thinking about the city where he lives, London, and the diversity within it. And he was speaking about how every continent, every city is represented within that city. You have hundreds of languages spoken. And so much of that actually makes the music of London, which is really just a collection of the music of a bunch of different places. So what he did to, to represent the section and to represent music um, was not necessarily a curation of music like the original, but it was conversations uh, with different people from all over the world about what makes the music in their cities. Um, and then he paired that with mixes from other cities. And I think what you find in all of them is that there's so much bleed over. You know, that's what music is today. It's this sort of singular thing, but it's representative of a very different place. And you can't necessarily go to any city anywhere and not hear the influence of another city across the world, just based on the way that communication and, and music is sent and the way ideas go back and forth. What I found most fascinating about it, and again, most humbling, was just, you know, seeing music that is representing a country like Australia and how there were so many ties with you know, countries in Africa or cities in Africa, and the same with the U.S. in New Orleans, as an example. Jacinta, I, I never uh, like to uh, make people uh, pick favorites among their children, but uh, <laughs> if you can pick out one particular uh, artist from the music section that uh, we might be able to hear a few seconds of, I mean, who would you suggest? I actually did love the Australia section the most. I think that was the most played playlist as well for us in the studio. Um, they are all of the individual mixes themselves that accompany the sections are they're brilliant and they are very um, they're very different and you don't necessarily feel that that one is drastically different than the other. They're just all really good. <laughs> and for like a studio full of music lovers, um, I often heard folks who hadn't worked on the project asking what we were listening to because they were so into how perfect the mixes were. I agree. While each one of them is distinctive and unique, you definitely feel that thread running uh, yeah. running amongst them all. And it's funny because I don't think there's that many places where you can um, specifically hear music and mixes from different people in different cities all alongside one another. I think it happens every day when we're in you know spotify or whatever it is and you go through a playlist and the reality is what you're listening to is music from all over the world but i think sometimes we take it for granted because it all feels at home in the same place even though it's incredibly diverse next chapter what you do for music in a message from earth you you pretty well duplicate with uh, global images this is an interesting section too so what we try to do here is is similarly take people from five different cities to tell a story about the place that they called home. And in, and in this case, um, we gave them probably the most direct brief we gave anybody within the whole project. Our feeling was that the beauty of the original project was this repre representation of hope, determination, and goodwill as it encapsulates humankind, right? So we basically spoke to people and said, you know, brilliant photographers, you know, you know exactly what you're doing. You know, you know what you want to shoot, but we'd love it if you'd go out and shoot images of hope, determination, and goodwill where you call home. And I think what spoke to through this section is, is where music, you get that diversity and you get um, uniqueness in all the different cities, but you feel that bleed over. You, you feel the same emotion, I think, in all of the images, but it's amazing how different they are, um, just in terms of the landscapes, in terms of 
the people represented, but all really in one cohesive package that really is the planet. Jacinta? Yes. <laughs> that kind of <laughs> an emphatic yes. Um, it, it it they're gorgeous. They're absolutely gorgeous images. And um, just for lack of time, let's move on to the next section, which you call brainwaves. Some of the most fascinating thinkers on uh, this world, on this planet. Uh, a lot of your contributors are among my favorite planetary radio guests. Where Seth Shostak of the SETI Institute mm-hmm. was awesome. uh, ju- just on the show a, a couple of weeks ago. But you you gave them a, a format that they needed to fit into. There there were some um, there were some directions. And this was you know ultimately a representation of brainwaves on the original on the original disc, which is part of the sound section. But we basically just said we'd love it if you'd write 500 words about whenever this thing is received. And this one was incredible just in terms of the diversity of what came back. One of my favorites <laughs> is uh, Musa Kwangas. He actually writes it as if it were another civilization receiving this as if it were someone trying to get a record deal. Um, <laughs> yeah. you know, so it's fascinating to see someone like him writing that and then you know someone like Seth and what he wrote, which come from such different points of views. But I think they speak to, you know, again, just sort of this sense of um, not knowing where this thing will go. You know, I love the idea that I think multiple people write about the fact that, you know, whoever might eventually find this thing will just discard it with the other hundreds that are just like it that they received that week. Um, but it was great to see what people came up with. Jacinta, say something about the graphic that uh, I assume you created at Stink Studios that's sort of the table of contents for this section. Yeah, the idea, I mean, how do you connect all of these brilliant pieces in a cohesive manner that allows folks to, you know, want to dig in and read. Luckily enough, we're working with, you know, a small amount of text. So uh, essentially what we did is we created something that was, you know, not so dissimilar to the navigation for the entire site itself, but the idea of scrolling names of the contributors of the writers and once you, you know, clicked into their their name, you, you know, you receive the text and as you scroll down, you sort of receive a a bar that would create like a rectangle around or, or a square or whatever sort of shape you have your, your browser um, affixed to that would, you know, give you a sense of completion so that as you're reading, you know, how far down, you know, you still have to go. It's a very small tactic, but like a lovely way of creating a, an interactive experience as you're reading. Yeah. Once again, I agree. Uh, uh, finally, last chapter, uh, giving. And uh, Stephen, before you tell us what you're up to here, let me read the little the bit of text that introduces this chapter, the free and generous transfer of possession from one to another, that's giving. We do so to support, champion, and embolden. A message from Earth is a gift to any who find it. But on top of that, there are some organizations that you're uh, you're looking to benefit. Yeah, that's right. There were a lot of cerebral conversations around the the building of this project in general. And I think that one always came back to what is it to be human, which is ultimately what the golden record is is communicating. It's this time capsule of humanity in a given moment of time as imagined by some of the most brilliant people of that era. And what we always came back to is generosity. And there's a certain generosity in the original project, uh, just sending something you know out into otherness and not necessarily wanting anything in return for it. Uh, so what we wanted to do is make sure this project first and foremost encapsulated that. You know, It was really about this being a gift and ultimately we hope being a source of inspiration for people as the original was for us. You know, we did that to support a few organizations that 
we ended up just speaking to as we were building the project out. So SETI being one of them, the Carl Sagan Institute being another, Astronomers Without Borders being another one, uh, many of which that were just you know, mentioned or recommended by people that we were working with as part of the project. So we submitted grants uh, to these three organizations just sort of in honor of the golden record in this project. And then also um, have put together a print zine uh, that encapsulates the whole thing that for anyone that donates over $15 to these organizations, uh, we'll send them. Uh, and that's actually created by Lawrence Azarad, who is the brilliant designer behind the Osmo Records uh, 3LP box set that came out earlier this year. I think what's happened in the process as well is we've met other amazing organizations. And one thing we're always thinking about with WeTransfer is we're in a really lucky place as a company. And we always try to embolden people who do amazing things with the resources that we have as a business that's been lucky enough to do well throughout the years. So we've met other people throughout this process that we look to support as well. And I'm looking forward to getting my copy of, uh, of the print scene. I think something that, you know, Stephen said earlier is so true about this project. You know, we were really able to work with some of the most epic artists, scientists, thinkers, musicians in a really seamless way. Uh, and so we feel really lucky. I mean, just that last section in giving, there's also a film embedded into that section that is, you know, a little bit of an homage to the pale blue dot uh, set to really beautiful soundscape by one of tricks point never, who's an amazing electronic artist. Being able to just do that one piece of this entire site was beyond epic for us. And the whole site was just experiences like that. Beautiful things came out of the 70s. You know, Stephen and I were born. And <laughs> it is a, a lovely close to uh, a lovely work of art uh, that anyone can experience on the net. Uh, Matt, we, we just can't thank you enough. We uh, I love the show personally. And um, again, I mean, humbled to be able to be involved in this project and to work with the people we did, but also just humbled to talk about it a little bit with you. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Stephen. And uh, uh, thank you, Jacinta. Uh, it has been a pleasure. I'm sure I will uh, follow that pathway uh, more. And, and again, I recommend to uh, everybody in the audience to take a look. And they can find it at, do I have this right? A message from dot earth. That's right. That's correct. We've been talking with Stephen Canfield. He's the marketing VP at WeTransfer but has a degree in music business and management from Berkeley College of Music. And uh, he got all of this started, a message from Earth, and found uh, Jacinta Faria, uh, executive producer at Stink Studios, which was uh, kind of the, uh, the center of this project that involved so many artists and uh, great minds uh, all over our pale blue dot. And it was, a, it was a team effort. I don't know if it was just started by me. I think there are a lot of brilliant people behind it, but thank you, Matt. It is time for What's Up on Planetary Radio. Bruce Betts is the Director of Science and Technology for the Planetary Society, and he is ready once again to bring us the night sky, to bring us space trivia, a random space fact, and, and, and so much more. Welcome. Thank you, Matt. Welcome to you. What's going on up there? Uh, we got the planet party. You can prove to yourself that the solar system planets orbit roughly in the same plane because you can look for three planets that are roughly in one line because of that. If you're looking in the pre-dawn, you can find Jupiter high in the south looking super bright and then go to its lower left and you'll find Mars and to the lower left of that you will find Saturn. 
ah, we live in a planet plane, roughly. And then in the evening sky, I keep mentioning it, it's tricky. Still, Venus coming up in low in the west shortly after sunset. It's going to get super easy to see and super spectacular in the super near future. Super, super. <laughs> well, that's super. We move on to this week in space history. It was uh, 2004 that the European Space Agency launched the Rosetta mission, which after a 10-year flight time encountered a comet and flew along with it and got all sorts of great data and images. That was a long wait, but uh, well worth it as it turns out. Turns out well worth the wait. Wow, that kind of snuck up on us and uh, Stranger Things. <laughs> and now a word from the Upside Down. Uh, <laughs> so speaking of Upside Down, you think of polar caps on Mars. Uh, the North Polar Cap is bigger in an aerial extent but less deep. And the Southern Cap is smaller in aerial extent and deeper, thicker. Turns out they have about the same volume. It, it, huh. it works out that way. They both have about 1.6 million cubic kilometers of water ice. And they're two to three kilometers thick, uh, hundreds of kilometers wide. A bonus random space fact, the total volume of ice in each polar cap is about 6% of the water ice volume of Earth's Antarctic ice sheet. That number is rising fast, sadly. On Mars? Yes, on Mars. The percentage uh, of the uh, of the Antarctic is sadly rising very quickly. <laughs> it's rising significantly. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say it's changing drastic. It's a topic for a different uh, uh, podcast. Okay. All right. We move on to the trivia contest, and I asked you what was the last wheeled vehicle launch of a successful wheeled vehicle into space, where success here is defined as driving on another world. So the Tesla did not count since it uh, is not driving on another world. Exactly. At least not yet. Does the term Jade Rabbit mean anything to you? Uh, yes, it does. Well, we got from Christopher Beck. The answer is the Chinese U-2 rover launched on the 1st of December, 2013. It is also known as Jade, Jade Rabbit. Rabbit. Yeah, and Christopher was chosen by random.org among all those who uh, got the answer right this time. We got a few people who were a little bit off base, but most of you managed to uh, figure this out. Congratulations go to uh, Christopher, who's going to be getting a Planetary Society t-shirt from uh, Chop Shop. That's uh, where the Planetary Society store is at chopshopstore.com. And a uh, 200-point itelescope.net account. But we're going to have something else very special for uh, the winner of the new contest. From our poet laureate, Dave Fairchild in Shawnee, Kansas. China sent a rover to the moon five years ago. It traveled for a day or two, but then began to slow. Like many cars, the warranty first blinked and then fell through. I had a car like that one time. We're sorry for you, too. <laughs> A new contest. Uh, we know that Sirius is the brightest star in the nighttime sky. What is the second brightest star in the nighttime sky? 
as seen from either hemisphere, but nighttime skies, so no no answering the sun. Go to planetary.org slash radio contest. You've got until Wednesday, March 7 at 8 a.m. Pacific time to get us the answer. Now, are you ready? We have a spectacular prize. In my conversation, just finished with Stephen Canfield and uh, Jacinta Faria about the message from Earth, you heard Stephen talking about the three LP set from Ozma Records, where they basically bring you uh, all the material on the Voyager Golden Record. That is going to go to the winner of the contest that we have just begun with this new question from Bruce, along with a 200-point itelescope.net account. You want to get your entry in for uh, for this latest contest, you might win that 3LP set. Pretty cool. I want one. Cool. It is. Our uh, appreciation, our gratitude goes uh, to WeTransfer, to uh, Stephen Canfield, and to uh, Osma Records. We are done. All right, everybody, go out there, look up the night sky, and think about what a cloud would taste like. Thank you, and good night. Why, they taste like marmalade, of course. And uh, extra points for anybody who gets the reference. (laughs) He's Bruce Betts. He's the Director of Science and Technology for the Planetary Society, who joins us every week for What's Up. Planetary Radio is produced by the Planetary Society in Pasadena, California, and is made possible by its highly cultured members. Mary Liz Bender is our associate producer. Josh Doyle composed our theme, which was arranged and performed by Peter Schlosser. I'm Matt Kaplan. Clear skies. Clear skies.